Welcome to the Joyful Educational Leadership Podcast, a podcast for school and district leaders who want to wake up and be excited to go to work, ensure that teachers are happy, students are joyful, and parents are engaged and make a positive difference in the lives of those they serve. Your host, Dr. Donna Marie Cozine, will share tips, tricks, and proven strategies to increase joy in your staff, students, and yourself. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Joyful Educational Leadership. I am so excited today to have Superintendent Zandra Galvan from the Greenfield Union School District in California. Zandra is also the president of the California Association of Latinx Superintendents and Admins. And I am so excited to have you on this episode, Zandra. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Donna. It's a, it's a thrill to admire your work over social media. And so I'm so glad we found um, the time to be able to meet each other. As Thank close you. to this person as possible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. I, I was telling Zandra before this, the first season tends to be people that I know, like good friends and things like that. And Zandra and I only know each other through LinkedIn. But as soon as we hooked up, I was like, oh my gosh, we need to be friends. So this might be the beginning of a, a long friendship. And the reason why Zandra is on with me is if you follow her on LinkedIn, and if you don't, you should, she's <laughs> always happy. She has this beautiful smile when she's with her students, when she's in uh, her, whatever she's doing, it just, you're like, wow, this is what I want, right? And and my goal is always to help educational leaders find that joy again that some of us have lost over time, especially with the pandemic. So welcome. So as I was checking you out and doing some research, I saw that you were an assistant superintendent from 2007 to 2017, and you've been a superintendent mm-hmm. from 2017 to the present. So tell us about your you know, your history in education and and your greatest accomplishment so far. Oh my gosh. Yes. And again, thank you so much for having me. I echo that response. I love your smile and just the energy that you give off as well. And I think we said if we lived closer to each other, we would totally be besties. And so love that. (laughs) All right. So let's talk a little bit about how I got here. And so I am the superintendent, proud superintendent of the Greenfield Union School District. And that's where I went to school as a little girl. So I am homegrown. So I am that little five-year-old in kindergarten coming to my schools and just with big dreams and hopes for like, what was I going to be when I grew up? Uh, kind of a story. And so number one, the most powerful thing ever is to being able to speak to my um, students and to be able to instill in them the possibility of always dreaming big and that whatever you can name, you can absolutely be it. So just starting with the positive mindset about what are those possibilities and how can we help you get there? And so I also share that story because as a little girl going to school here in Greenfield, I was 10 years old when the dream of becoming a teacher was planted in my head. And it was planted in my head by my big sister. So there are six of us siblings. I am the baby of the family. I know there's probably is research about babies and what they do and their big energy, right? And then the oldest in the family is my sister, Debbie Jo. And so I'm Xandra Joe. She's Debbie Joe. We're named after my pops, Joe. And I have another sister, Linda Joe, there in the middle. But Debbie became a kindergarten teacher for the first time when I was on the same campus as a fifth year, a fifth grader, 10 year old. And during lunch, I would go read stories to her kids, like her kindergartners. And I was like, whoa, this is living the life. My gosh, you're sitting there reading stories to kids, animating, like just doing phenomenal storytelling, dramatization, and just the little eyes lit up. And so 
that's when my dream of wanting to become a teacher uh, was planted, that seed, and I didn't stop. And then I, as I grew and progressed through, I got you know a little older, a little smarter, and I was thinking, okay, I love this teaching thing, but like, do teachers have bosses? Like, what do the bosses do? You know, like principalship, cool. But like, what about their boss? So then I remember in seventh grade talking to my science teacher, a Mr. John Schmidt, who's going to get a kick out of me sending him this video. And he's he was just joking me with you one day right here in Greenfield Schools, seventh grade science class. And he said, you know, he said something silly. And I said, you know what, Mr. Schmidt, who's your boss? And he said, well, the principal's my boss. And I said, well, no, 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 no. Who's the principal's boss? He goes, well, the superintendent. I said, that's it. That's what I'm going to be. And sure enough, here I am. Uh, many years later, he retired just before I came back as a soup. So the joke was on me, but I did come back and I did do that. And so I tell you these stories is just because you got to live your passion driven life. You got to live what makes your heart happy. What makes your heart sing for me? Kids make me happy. I love being in classrooms. I love reading tomorrow is read across America. There are so many things that are happening all over you know, just with these national movements with um, honoring public school pride and all those kinds of things. And so we latch on to some of these really cool themes and we bring it to our classrooms. And so that makes me happy. It makes our team happy. And ultimately it brings joy to our kids. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm speaking this, fr- this Friday at a career day at one of my schools. And last Friday, I got to speak at another career day. And this is where the magic happens and why it's all worth it. A little first grader, little six-year-old, and I'm ta- I'm doing my speech about, you know, how do you become a superintendent? What's the superintendent about with six-year-olds? I know, six-year-olds. And so I'm doing it in the six-year-old kind of frame. And what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Be a policeman. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a teacher. You know, I want to be a doctor. And I looked at this one little girl named Ruby. And Ruby looked at me and I said, Ruby, what do you want to do when you grow up? She goes, I'm going to do what you do. In all confidence, in all, like, she didn't stutter. It was bold. It was loud. It was proud. And she goes, I'm going to do what you do. So I tell you that because we want to live our passion-driven life, but also, like, it's all about the little rubies in the world. How do we instill in them that anything is possible if you dream? So that's a little bit about my dream. (laughs) That's awesome. You need to write down Ruby's phone number. So when you retire and you you count ahead 20 years, you can call her and be like, okay, Ruby, are you on track? Where are you with this? I'll do that because we're having lunch this week. So oh, I'll make awesome. sure. <laughs> so Sandra, you know how they say people are unicorns. Some people are unicorns. I think you're like a Pegasus because <laughs> of all of the superintendents in the nation, 24% are women. And of all of the superintendents in the nation, only 14% identify as Hispanic or Latino. So here you are, a Latina superintendent. So a couple questions on that. Was that a challenge for you doing that? And how important is it to you that you sit in that seat as a Latina superintendent? I love this question. I love this question. Thank you so much for asking it. So number one, first and foremost, I feel an incredible sense of responsibility. I feel the incredible sense of responsibility because I, it is my job to open doors for the next generation and to keep that door open. Uh, representation absolutely matters. When I walk through classrooms and I'm able to speak Spanish and connect with our parents and they see, see me as them, that's huge. That's huge for our little girls and little boys to say, whoa, wait, wait, you speak Spanish? You're from Mexico too? Like, wow. So then I can do it too, right? So that is for, first and foremost, the most powerful, amazing gift, but also responsibility because I can't mess up. 
I can't mess up. I have to be my best self every day of the week because if I make a mistake, then I make a mistake on behalf of my entire race and culture. So that's a huge responsibility. I need to make sure that if I do make a mistake, I apologize for it and I, I step back and I pause and I move forward because we are all vulnerable. We're all going to make mistakes in our lifetime, but it's how we use that as a learning opportunity. But I hope and I pray that I make more good movements than I do mistakes on behalf of those I represent. And so number one, it's so important. You heard, you said the statistics, 24%, 17%, 11%. Like it is, it is startling that we are in 2022 and that still remains the same. So now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, a Latin mindset or a female mindset. Oftentimes, we do not believe we are good enough to have a seat at the table. We self-sabotage and shoot ourselves in our own foot before we even apply for the job. And that's a problem. If I am by myself and I see a job opening and I am, you know, it's a quandary for me. Am I thinking, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I not do it? And if it's only a conversation with myself, my self-talk tells me, no, I don't think you're good enough. I don't think you're ready. I mean, I think you need to go get your doctorate. I think you need to go to that academy. Maybe you need more experience here. Maybe you need to wait till your kids are grown up, or maybe you need to wait until your parents, you know, are in a better situation. That's all the things that enter a woman's mind and a Latin woman's mind who is a very familial culture. We take care of our own. Never, ever, ever will you see a Latino or a Latina putting their parents in an ovo's home. Just never. They're going to come live with us before they go anywhere else. And, and I, I, we're testimony to that. I, my grandmother was 105 when she passed away. She lived with my mom. My in-laws were, you know, in their 80s and their 90s living with us, my husband and I and our family before they passed away. My parents, my dad's going to be 90 this month in March. My mom's going to be 87. You betcha, bottom dollar, they're going to be coming living with us, you know, when it's time. And so that is another area that as Latin people and as females, we concern ourselves with a lot of things and then don't make those movements. So here's the solution. You got to get yourself some cheerleaders. You have to get yourself some champions. I am part of several sister circles and a sister circle is something quite simple. It is a text message group where I'm the, I can be the nucleus. And so I'm going to be a nucleus of a sister circle and I'm going to find five phenomenal women that I know would get along. And they trust me as the nucleus. And so one of my sisters, um, Pam, who I went to high school, started our first, my first sister circle during the pandemic. And she trusted these people and we all trusted her. So we started it. So then I formed my own. And so what does a sister circle do is it's a basically a group of, you know, anywhere from five to seven women. We'd like to keep it small because you are going to be vulnerable within that group. And so those are our champions. Those are the women that tell you when you're going to apply for something that you're good enough. Right. Yes, you are. And guess what? Show us your resume. We're writing you letters of recommendation. We're getting on a mock interview. Show up here or get on Zoom. We're going to help you. All the self-sabotaging, it doesn't happen because you have people in your corner telling you, you are good enough. You are going to make it. You deserve a seat at the table. Go apply for that superintendency. If you don't get it, not a big deal. It's another step closer to getting better at your interview process and to when that next gig happens, you're going to be fully prepared. And so in order to solve this percentage and increase them, we need to have better self-confidence. Like I need to have more confidence. And I'm the first to tell you, I'm a confident gal. I'm the baby of six. Like, come on, I had to fight my way through everything. However, I have my moments of doubt. So I'm not, you know, immune to doubting and having that imposter syndrome set in that tells me that, well, I don't know if you're good enough. Like, should you, should you not? Whereas 
people who, who are my champions will say, of course you are. What the heck are you doing? Stop it. Like yeah. they want to slap and say, knock it off. Are you kidding me? The number of people that are admiring you from afar and you're doubting yourself, like stop that right now. But we all need that. And so that's how we will increase the number of representation of females, of Latinos, Latinas, Latinx people. And also while simultaneously having that family that helps support you in that work that you do. And so taking care of our parents is a part of us, but that doesn't mean you can't be a superintendent and take care of your mom. You just figure out how to navigate that. doesn't mean I can't be a mom to my beautiful children and be the superintendent of a phenomenal district. You just got to figure out how that balance works out. And so that is how we're going to do that. And also changing the narrative of the perception of females and the perception of um, people of color. That's another step because I'm only as uh, only offered a job if a board of education believes in me too. Right. So I have to make sure that the people who are hiring me know what they're getting. And all ladies and Latinos out there, when you hire and you look for a district that you want to be part of, whether you're a teacher, a principal or an administrator or a superintendent or a board member, it also needs to match your magic and match your passion. Yeah. Um, nothing worse than working in a district that you know, you don't feel good about. You said so many things that I would love to tease out, <laughs> but I, I mean, I need two hours with you and a, and a bottle of wine. But <laughs> I want to, I want to hit on one early thing that you said, because I, um, I have a very diverse group of friends and a diverse group of colleagues. And one of my colleagues said something, he, he posted something on Facebook. It was very, can't think of the word. It was, I don't know. He just put it out there. And one of the statements that he said is similar to what you said. And he said, I, I, something along the lines of, I'm aware that whenever I'm in the room, I am representing my entire race. He's a man of color and he Mm -hmm. tends to be in rooms with mostly uh, not people of color. And I'll tell you, that never goes through my mind as a white person. You know what I mean? Perhaps sometimes as a woman, I might say to myself, oh, that Donna, that was stupid. Or I can remember being in my office with my chief of operations and the school principal. And I was so angry about something. I started to cry. And I looked at them and I said, no, I was about to cry. And I looked at them and I said, I'm about to cry, but it's not because I'm upset. It's because I'm so angry. You know what I mean? Like I had to give that precursor. Like I'm not a baby. I'm just so mad right now, you know? And they're like, it's cool. It's good. You know, so it's like putting yourself out there. And I, I, God, I really, I don't know why as a country we're not there yet. And that, that really kills me, right? But representation yeah. does matter so much and, and what you're doing and what other people of color um, are doing in our industry is really so important. I think that's really something uh, important that you pointed out. And the other thing I think about is, you know, when COVID hit, my husband left and went to work and I was home with my two children running my organization for my dining room table, managing, we were a small charter school, but a $9 million budget and 97 staff members and 515 kids from my dining room table. That's what it dawned on me. Like women, we still rule the world. And I know some of you are going to be like, I'm turning this podcast off. No, but seriously, I'm not the only one where my husband went to work and I was home and my kids are in their rooms. And I get a text message from my third grade teacher. "Um, Your son's not in math class. And I'm, and I'm the head of the, you know, I'm the CEO of the organization and I'm getting up in my pajamas and walking over to him. So, you know, it's, it's just true. We yeah. have a lot of balls in the air at all times. Let me ask you another question. So this is all about joy. And I, and I just, everything about you is just joyful. And if you're checking out this podcast only audio, 
audio only, you'll have to go to the YouTube, my YouTube channel, watch it because you'll see Xandra and you'll be like, oh my God, this woman is the real deal. She's just happy all the time. So how do you ensure as a superintendent, right? So you're the head of this organization. How do you help your teachers and what suggestions do you have for other educational leaders to help your teachers understand that, you know what, it is hard. Right now, first of all, being a teacher, being an educator has always been difficult. But now with everything going on, it's even worse. But how do you tell them to turn down the noise of the stress and the anxiety and focus on the positive? Can you give us some tips for that, Sandra? Absolutely. And it, and I think it comes from acknowledging. Like, don't pretend that we weren't going through a pandemic. Like, we can't pretend that our teachers never had to use technology to the umpth degree when you had kids in front of you. Um, acknowledge also that student engagement was completely different in distance learning than it is in the classroom. We need to also acknowledge that our teams also experienced loss. And every single teacher, when we came into distance learning, was a first-year teacher again. Like there were not the pros when it came to distance learning teaching. We didn't have any professionals because we had never experienced it. So I think first and foremost, I'm going to rewind to March 13th. It was that Friday when we went into lockdown. No one will ever forget that day. Um, It's upon us pretty soon here with the second year uh, anniversary of March 13th. And here's what happened. We had to lower, I had to lower my effective filter when it came to meeting people where they were, meeting them exactly where they were. And as a superintendent, as a leader, I needed to lean in on my emotional intelligence, not my academic, not my smarty pants. I'm a smart gal, totally. And I can, you know, talk the mean game of all the academia in the world that exists. It didn't matter. That did not matter when you're in the middle of a a pandemic and people are looking for psychological safety. Yeah. Like they needed to feel emotionally safe. They needed to feel physically safe. They needed to know and be acknowledged that I'm in this with you and I am not going to let you fail. You are not going to let me fail. I can remember on that Monday coming back. And the first groups I met was my school board, of course, to let them know we're not coming back. We just got an executive order. We're all in lockdown. Uh, We got to figure this out. Then I went to my admin team and then I went to my labor partners. My labor partners are amazing people. Those are all my teachers and my classified members that are my bus drivers, my nutrition team. I went to my labor leaders and I said, listen, guys, here's what's happening. And we're with you. We stand together. Our common goal is to make sure that students are, are, are taught, but on two frames. Academic, yes, but social emotional first. And I also want to start with you. So when we came back on that Monday, when we left on that Friday, on Friday, we had to figure out how are we going to still make sure kids were learning. And so I had teacher teams and and classified teams here running materials to send home to kids. And we mailed them to them because we weren't sure if the pandemic, you can't touch things and all those kinds of things. So we did that. And I had teacher teams staying here till 7 p.m. at night because we had developed that relationship and not a single one asked for an overtime sheet. We are in this together. We are taking collective responsibility for the success of every single child that we serve. Let's do this. But for them, what happened on that Monday, I said, we're taking care of you. I brought in my friends who were 
um, team champions when it came to social emotional check-ins with them. How do you do some breathing techniques? How do you make sure that you're centered? How are you taking care of your family before you're bringing your full self here? So we had a lot of mindful and just acknowledging that this is going to be a journey together. And at that time, they said it was going to be two weeks and we're going to come back. Yeah, two years later, right? It's not what they thought it was going to be. Um, But I think the most critical part with your question is meeting people where they are, asking them, how are you doing? I go into classrooms every single day. And when I do, I, I talk to the teacher and I said, how are you? I can ask you about your standard and the teacher clarity and how the success criteria of every single lesson, every single day. They know I can. I know they can. But my first question is, how are you doing? How's the family? How can I help? Just the other day, I had a preschool teacher who was breaking down a little bit. And I said, go take a walk. I got this. I took over the class. She went on a walk. She needed that. Things were just frustrating. There wasn't a substitute. The instructional aides had called in sick. She's trying to, you know, finish her grade reporting. You know, a parent called her and was upset about something. She was like here. I was not about to say, I'll see you later. Right. In that moment, it was, let me take over the class. Go take a walk. Go get yourself a cup of coffee. I'll be here. (gasps) Are you sure? Are you sure? Absolutely. Go. She left. She came back a fresh lady, you know? So those little things is how you meet people where they are. Listen about what they're needing and then respond. Like, I can't say I'm an all means all district if that means only some of the time. You know, I need to make sure that we're supporting our teams. And, you know, I already called you a Pegasus. So I'm doubling down on that because what you described in terms of your leadership style is not a normal leadership style, right? So people, and it's a misnomer out there. People think superintendents are only business people. You're not, you're instructional leaders. You need to, you need to have all of those pieces, the finance, the operation, the academic, and the people skills, those soft skills, because we're in a people business. And I was telling someone once, you know, they would say to me, you never look stressed. And I said, well, you don't know what's going on the inside, but you know, if we as leaders show them that we're panicked, all heck's going to break loose. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, Zandra's panicked. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, like, so when you get Uh up there and instead of saying we're in a pandemic, you say we're going to be closed possibly two weeks or more, you know, and it's all in the way you come across. And boy, it just seems like that you would be a joy to work with in your, in your uh, organization or anywhere. So speaking of joy, what is your first joyful memory? Oh, Goodness, my first one? Yeah. My first one. I'm going to tell you. My first one was here in Monterey County when my mom and my dad would tell me to go get a bucket, go in the backyard, and dig up some worms. We're going fishing. Nice. Okay. So my brother and I would go in the backyard, the younger brother, like just above me. And the whole family would jump in the station wagon. And this is no seatbelt laws, right? right? So I would be way in the back with my brother facing the other way, waving to all the cars and doing this. I just did this the other day to truck drivers to like honk your horn. And I remember wearing my little beanie cap and fishing off the rocks in Moss Landing, which is in Monterey County and catching a little dinky fish, but just the amazing family time. No cell phones, you know, no worries about what was a, what was going to happen next. No pandemic to have to worry about. It was just family together, walking on the beach, climbing on the rocks, you know, launching the fishing pole, 
and putting a worm on there, poor little worm. I, I didn't know how to do it very well. So I kind of smashed the heck out of him, but the fish liked it and um, catching fish. Like, I think that from my childhood is one of my favorite memories because it includes family, joy, the squishy worm, you know? So yeah, that's one of my first special moments. Fun. Because that really incorporates almost everything I've learned about you in this. Like your family is first, regardless. Yeah. You love being one of six, you know, so all of those things about you. What is the most recent thing that has happened to you that has given you joy? Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to say leading this district, like five years now, I was made for this. Like I was born to be a superintendent and I didn't realize that, you know, like the level of impact that you can make and how important this chair is in the trajectory of an organization and being able to set expectations of, I need kindness matters, people. Be nice. (laughs) Like if a parent walks into your office, stop what you're doing and ask them, how are they? What do they need? Don't ignore, engage. Walking into classrooms and like kids know who I am. Like that's a big deal because that means you're there quite a bit. If they, have you seen me before? I'm always going to like, have you seen me before? Oh yeah, you're the superintendent, right? I said, what do I do? you kind of like, you're the boss of everything, right? I'm like, okay, you're good. (laughs) So like, I think that's magical in that being able to set the tone and being a positive example of who we aspire to be. And yes, I'll have some bad days, you know, and I'll crawl up in a little ball in the fetal position and kind of like these little sad cheeks about it, but I don't stay there for long. Why? Because people need me. People are depending on me to make some heavy decisions and to make sure that I'm that calm force in the midst of a storm. And they need to have that for them to feel positive about what they need to do, right? And so the joy in me is this gig. Like this gig brings me joy. Like I love speaking to kids. I love being in classrooms. I love influencing. And that's kind of how we met, right? But I also, within that journey of being a superintendent, I'm also very, very proud and humbled and honored to serve as the president of CALSA. Why is that so important to me? Is it's a platform to elevate Latin people, that brings me joy, elevate females, that brings me joy, and connect people, like connect people with other people to do good work because it all circles back to kids. And that is the ultimate joy. You're the ultimate joy. So (laughs) you have to go home and say your husband. Donna Marie said I'm the ultimate joy. Um, I will say, let's say that some of the people who are listening are Latinx superintendents and admins in other states. Are there other organizations like this one? And where would they find out about them? Thank you for asking. That's another joy of mine, right? So um, I was, I'm Calza, which is California based. We came... um, boy, over 20 years ago. And I just, we have amazing old guard, but just phenomenal trailblazing men and women who just had an idea over 20 years ago. Then after Calza was created, they said, this is too good to save for just California. We need a national organization. So then they connected with people nationally and created ALAS, which is the Association of Latin uh, Superintendents and Administrators at the national level. So that's a big umbrella that covers all of the United States. And there are 20 states now that have an affiliate. Calza is an affiliate. We have Talas, which is the Texas Association. We have Flalas, which is the Florida Association. We have New York, 
which is the New York Association. We have Chicago, we have New Mexico, Arizona. So what we do have now, and we're, we're trying to get into every state, is to just have a sense of belonging and mattering for people and leaders. And so I need to, I love to be with all people, but there's something to be said about being with people that are like you, because you lower that effective filter and I can be much more vulnerable. I'll be vulnerable when I trust you, but I'll be vulnerable at the gate with another Latin person. Yeah. Because your story is my story. Right. And I understand that. And so at the national level, I had the honor of going to my only my second conference, but my first one as the president in October. And we went to Washington, D.C. for advocacy. So we were on the Hill talking and championing the work of our uh, students of color with our politicians and being in a room and a space with other leaders nationally with the same common vision and taking collective responsibility for the success of our Latin students was an amazing, amazing experience. And then just recently, uh, last week, I was in Nashville, Tennessee at another organization called AASA, which is the American Association of Superintendents Association. And what we did with them is we brought in a sector of all of the states in the United States. And our common vision was, how do we really drive this equity work forward? And that another a phenomenal experience and being able to navigate with other leaders, black, brown, you know, white, uh, Asian American, Native American, all these different phenomenal leaders that had a common mission of taking collective responsibility for the success of the scholars we serve. And so those entities bring me incredible joy because then I'm not an island. I am one of several people that I didn't even know existed. Like, that's the kicker. Like, I didn't even know, like, the person I met in Connecticut or the person I met in Florida are doing exactly what I'm doing in Greenfield, yet we hadn't connected. So what ASA does, what ALAS does, is it brings us together in common uh, unity in support of the trajectory of education. I love that. And I really truly believe in affinity groups as one aspect of, you know, growing your own leadership. So there are benefits in being in a homogenous group and a heterogeneous group. And I think we need to be in both. You know, you need to be in an organization for women. You need to be in a general superintendent organization. If you're a member of, you know, a, a Latinx if you're a Latinx background or black or Asian, then find that affinity group too, because we it's all our story. We bring those things with us. And like you said, yeah. you can be vulnerable with a, a, a Latin sister, a Latinx sister or a Latinx brother, whereas you might not feel that way with someone like me right away. But over time, you would develop yeah. that. You're doing such exactly. important work, Zandra, on so many levels. I want you to follow Zandra on LinkedIn. I'll put her LinkedIn below. I checked her out. She's very popular. She's like over 2,600 connections. <laughs> so you'll see why when you start following her. But I am so grateful and so thankful that you took time out of your busy schedule of serving your community and your children. And thank you so much again. And to my listeners, if you can choose, choose joy. Joy is a choice. And if you lean in and find the joy in everyday situations in the long run, you will be a just much happier, more balanced person. So thanks for tuning in. Awesome. This has been another edition of the Joyful Educational Leadership Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and share it with friends and colleagues. If you'd like to join our mailing list, please go to www.joyfuleducationalleadership.com where you can learn more about how you can become the joyful leader you were meant to be. 